So, Dr. Koontz, my opening questions this time, I think, might be complete left turns and they might not. I've been pondering about what these two ancient heresies um, might have to do with better understanding of modern context. So I'm just curious if you would go ahead and, and begin by giving me the, the way you would teach people about both Manichaeism and Donatism. Not yeah. so much like, here's the guy, you know, memorize this heresy. Right. But like, why were these things so powerful when they were as powerful as they were? Manichaeism originates in Persia and like Zoroastrianism, which is the catch-all for sort of ancient Persian folk religion, elevated to state religion, is dualistic. I think it's a better philosophical account of dualism than Zoroastrianism provides. But unlike Zoroastrianism, is not, I think, too ethnically particular to prevent exportation. And therefore, it could be exported first to the Near East and then from there to the rest of the Mediterranean world. But I think the reason that that happens, let's say more broadly, is that dualism, a strict dualism, avoids either the obvious philosophical contradictions of polytheism, but also the problems of monotheism, such as why are evil things happening if there's only one God? So I think for that reason, it, it, it could be and was intellectually satisfying for people to, let's say, convert, as Augustine did for a time, to Manichaeanism. How does it compare to, say, the New Age movement, things like that today out of, out of the East? I think our New Age movement is probably potentially polytheist. I don't think it's particularly intellectually compelling. Um, it might be emotionally compelling or visually or aesthetically compelling. But I would be really surprised if in like another 40 years in, say, the Pacific Northwest, you have tons of thoroughgoing dualists. I see. I would be much less surprised if we had open, right. as we do, but more widespread polytheism. Right. And that's kind of where we want to go. But then let's hit Donatism, too. And yeah. I mean, maybe I'm just uh, truly a blind squirrel with no nut here in the connection between these two in our <laughs> modern age. But um, yeah, Donatism, what's that all about? Donatism is something that is memorized by people that do learn it as a problem involving the relationship between the ministry and the sacraments. That is that the immorality of the minister invalidates the sacraments. That's kind of the, that's the shorthand. And mm -hmm. If you don't know anything else, that's, it's fine to know that. So you don't have to worry about the fact that the pastor that baptized you turned out to be some sort of horrendous human being. Historically though, Donatism comes about because during a persecution that's particularly severe in the middle of the third century, there are people, especially in the clergy, who hand over holy things to the Roman inquisitors. And they're called literally traitors, handers over traditores. That busts open a lot of other tensions within the North African church, hmm. such as between Latin-speaking, ethnically Roman urbanites and Berber-speaking ethnically Berber uh, ruralites who overwhelmingly become Donatists. And so the, the immediate cause has to do with who actually gets to become the legitimate Bishop of Carthage, which is the capital city. But what, um, what year is that around? I want to say that's in the, it's the century late to it's in the third century, third century. Yeah. So then golly, I mean, this, uh, that's just such a nugget in terms of history. Wait, 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 North Africa was like the center of Christianity. What are you talking about? Yeah. 
North, <laughs> well, North, yeah, North and North Africa is neither kind of sub-Saharan African, which some people think, but it's also not, not really Arab the way mm -hmm. we think of it today. It's more, it's essentially the same mix of folks that you're going to find in Spain or Sicily at the mm -hmm. time. And so the, the elites in the church and in the state are ethnic Romans who had, you know, come there after Roman conquest. But most of the population in rural areas, including, I think it's Augustine's mother, hmm. are Berbers who are still around and are, let's say, ethnologically distinct from Arabs to this day. They have their own language, their own customs. Um, Shemites still? Yeah, they're definitely some kind of, you know, descendants of Shem, but yeah, yeah their own, kind of their own twist. Yeah. And so the Donatists are going to overwhelmingly draw from those groups. They have their own martyrdom accounts eventually because they're going to be persecuted. So Donatism, I, I don't find as cut and dried historically when you look into it as certainly the nutshell that I gave is or sounds. So, yeah, that's kind of what I wonder about it. It's a bit of a caricature as Manichaeism sort of has been too, because I really learned Manichaeism as being as much about Manny as anything else and his mm -hmm charism his ability to sway people yeah, and just hold yeah, people as a prophet yeah but then you know how much of that dualism can i, I don't know so and f whether this is worth it or not as a, as a good segue you know feeds my interest today's topic is not entirely disconnected in that it's about going back to old ways yeah and recognizing that the the great threat to america is paganism straight yeah. up uh, it always has been in a sense of the beast out of the sea and land are always being moved by the devil, right? And you could say the American <laughs> flag is flown for the sake of a moralistic, therapeutic, deistic, yeah. pantheistic, wannabe everything, right? Uh, a, a regime, perhaps, as sometimes is called. But that's a little different from like, oh, yeah, my neighbor worships Thor. Yeah, yeah, it is. That's, 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 that's different. And I remember being out east, New Jersey, yeah. the first pastor's conference I went to in New Jersey— and I think I'd use the word pagan just to refer to unbelief in general offhand. And and one of the pastors there was like, that guy thinks there's pagans. And he was like a, a amazed that I thought it was possible. Right. And part right. of me was like, no, how do you not know this is happening? I mean, yeah. I had kids in high school worshiping various forms of Norse God and whatnot through rock and roll and, and uh, metal. It's a big this part of metal big, culture. And then this is a big coastal difference between the coasts mm. is open mm. practice of polytheism, but... The reason for that, I think, is maybe deeper and something to discuss in the context of American history, which is that American literature reflects the American experience of our encountering nature on a scale that is really unprecedented in European literature, except in mythology. Right, because the times when it was mm -hmm. that open were so far beyond history, right. right? And so on that scale, those times are you know, like in the, the the myth of the founding of various Greek cities mm -hmm. is going to be phrased explicitly in pagan terms. Mm -hmm. In our film or literature, it's not going to be so portrayed, but the encounter in, say, a Jack London novel, the problem is really the problem of nature overwhelming mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. And so if you are coming out of a Christian culture, maybe you yourself are not Christian, you're probably not going to be able to formulate that, not yet, anyway, in explicitly pagan terms, like the, you know, the god of Mount St. Helens was angered in the early 1980s, right? But I, I bet you but it's people the same, who did believe that yeah, quite firmly, even right. at that time. But it's the same problem. 
Yeah. And so I think that that's part of the difference between the coasts as to polytheism is that nature does not overwhelm you in the Northeast or let's say along the I-95 corridor hmm. the way that it can in the West. Unless, there are exceptions, um, one exception being Maine, but generally if nature does not overwhelm like that, I think it is hard to think of divinity at all, whether just one or a whole bunch. Because it's just bunch. too safe. It's just too easy it's, to secure. It's safe, but it's also it's also that the, it, it seems as if, and I think this is a problem, so there's a, there's a lot in here. We have enough for seven hours if we want to sit right, here. Right, right. It's, it's not just that it's safe. It's also that your major problems appear solvable because they appear to have a purely human source. So the highest discipline in this way would not be theology. It would be maybe sociology or social engineering more specifically. Because everything, it seems like life exists on a human scale. And so that's not necessarily true like... It, I don't know, in the mountains and the eastern seaboard, but that's not where most people live. Right, so. right. Well, so in encounter with nature is kind of necessary for encounter with God. And yet the problem is then when you mix and match and consider the nature to, to be the God. Yeah. And then again, the topic we really want to try to dig on today is about the reckoning with the narrowness of being like in Philistia again and how tiny we are compared to the wave of, of true and actual paganism <laughs> yeah. that is running yeah. everything yeah. and that's about to get, again, more vocal, yeah. West Coast style, I yeah. think, yeah. everywhere else. Right. And you know, so people in the West Coast, they might not think anything of it because they're all already barbarians, right? <laughs> and then somewhere in the mid, mid, Midwest, you got a bunch of nice people whose kids are barbarians and they don't understand it. Right, they right? have they're no idea confused. why that might be. Yeah. And, then I, and then the East, I guess that's where the lizard people are running us all from like a spaceship or something, <laughs> I am right? one of them, actually. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, what is this return to actual paganism? And can we start that maybe with even like a little history? So yeah. I, I'm, I'm looking into a book I've mentioned on my other show uh, about the occult. And he's got all these stories about these 1920s, 1930s faith healers that are not Christians, you know, out there trying to do seances and move tables and all this kind of oh, stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's, even that's a bit new agey-ish. I mean, obviously they're yeah, working is. with dark powers, mm -hmm. but like the approach was still sort of Christian science sort of stuff. Yeah. Whereas what I think is really common is just like, let's drink the blood and go kill stuff. Like that's, that's the real old yeah. way, right? Yeah. So where do we see any okay. of this popping up before 1920? I mean, it's before older 1920. than that, right? So, yeah, I mean, I, lo I absolutely love this stuff because it there is a certain, there is a, let's say, decay of the New England mind yeah, because that's that's really the spot to look. There is, there is out and out paganism, things that probably almost any listener would be uncomfortable with among certain folk populations, especially the Pennsylvania Dutch in colonial America. But that is combined with a thorough, generally with them, especially a Lutheran piety. So these are kind of like aberrant practices. It's a little bit more, let's say, like Mexican Catholicism than paganism of any kind. Well, what's the difference between Mexican Catholicism and paganism? And doesn't it depend on which one you're at? Depends like on what, how far south you are yeah, in Mexico. Yeah, which, which church you're in, how far on the boons you are. Yeah, yeah. if you're like in... Which shrine uh, is this? Yeah, if you're like, yeah, Sonora, it's going to be a little... Uh, it's going to be more Christian than Oaxaca. That's such a different topic right there. Yeah. That, that's the ex opera operata topic a yeah, little bit. It is. How, how far does this gospel work without us knowing it's working? Right. But, but um, so 
what I'm saying is you're going to have people who are going to, they're going to know, they're actually going to unironically know what the gospel reading is on Trinity 6, but then they're also going to put certain things in a bag to put around their neck uh, or the cow's neck in case they are the cow are sick. Right, right. Okay. That Which is different than, say, a vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's totally different. Yeah. How? Yeah. So I would say that among the American, let's say, kind of present in 1776 populations, you're going to have some very superstitious Germans and some very superstitious, let's say, French, although they're in Louisiana, they're not even really, that's not even in America yet. The rest of your populations are so th- thoroughly Protestantized, mm-hmm. let's say. They don't, they don't, they don't officially have anything like that, hmm. and it's not happening on a widespread scale. But the whole problem is for New England that not everyone actually ends up going to church like they right. were supposed to. Right, right. And what? Yeah, and so we don't have to go into like how the Christians try to solve that theological problem, but just realize there's always this enormous population in New England that doesn't go to church, mm-hmm. and then also farther south that doesn't get captured by the Anglicans who are supposed to capture them. The South, that gets solved by Baptist and Methodist missionaries. Hmm. And that's why the South is overwhelmingly Baptist and Methodist. In the North, the Baptists make a lot of gains, especially in rural areas, but they don't solve the problem. Mm-hmm. So the idea that America is actually largely unchurched in, say, the year 1790, maybe, say, majority unchurched, is probably not far off. Mm-hmm. And those are the folks that are going to bring you not Unitarianism, but lots of different Christian heresies, mm-hmm. Seventh-day Baptists, Universalists, who are actually, they believe that Christ is God and the Trinity, but but they're also going to bring you in upstate New York, 20, 30 years before the Civil War, spiritualism. Yeah, right. Okay. Which, in the case of the Fox Sisters, who are, oh, right, that's I've heard the of thing them. to look up, case of the Fox Sisters, it, it may or may not have been a hoax. As a Christian, I don't really feel a need to say, oh, this didn't really happen. You know, Christians, we're not like Center for Skeptical Inquiry or something. Pretty sure there's examples in the Bible (laughs) that we believe in which there are supernatural powers uh, allowed, authorized by God, but really against his authority. And and they do stuff. Yeah, they do. Signs and wonders, even. They do. And so, but the Fox sisters are going to travel. And so... You know, you have kind of two things that that upstate New York Yankees invent that go very big and get commercialized in the 19th century before, okay, besides Mormonism, (laughs) before the Civil War. And that would be a thorough method of revival. Mm -hmm. That would be Charles Mm -hmm. Finney. But from about the same place, the Fox Sisters and Spiritualism, and both are going to tour through places like New York and Philadelphia and Charleston, and they're going to attract enormous crowds, both of them. Barnum and Bailey Circus comes to mind as well. Yeah, yeah. He's he's another Yankee. I think he's from Connecticut. It was, it was the age of upstarts and the age of building, like we we're talking about. There's yeah, big open spaces. There's people that are there alone, and right. you come through with anything, you're going to be entertaining. And it was so it was a time to build. But then again, you have people who are uh, on their own with all manner of influences from all over the world. Yeah. And so Christians of will intent, um, perhaps running into uh, pagans of non well, I don't know, what, you know yeah. some other kind of intent, yeah. and then adopting practices that uh, certainly lead toward 
more of a pagan or we try to control nature, white, ma- white magic yeah. approach to things as opposed to the biblical model of prayer. So I right. kind of look right. at things there. Prayer, prayer is not magic because magic attempts to make things happen. A prayer recognizes that I can't make things happen and just says, hey, God, how about you do it? Right, right. <laughs> and, you know, if right. you will it. So, right. and that's a major distinction between the two things. It is. And in one, I mean, in, in the case of the precursor to Christian science, another person just to look into for the listener is Phineas Parkhurst Quimby, who is a doctor. <laughs> it's a great name. It's a, it's a fantastic <laughs> name. Who's a doctor largely in Maine, who from whom Mary Baker Eddy really derived all of her ideas. Okay. Uh, he healed her. And she then the sort of turned from. it into a system. Yeah, I bet she did. And that's what Christian science, the, the church of Christian science. Yeah, Mary Baker. Eddie, that's really right, is. Right, right, right. But um, Quimby, Quimby's uh, writings are freely available online. And you will see there something that is still deeply respectful of the Bible, but not really necessarily Christian. And his understanding of who the Christ is can be almost sort of like a, a spirit. Right. Are you familiar with Harry Edwards as a name? No. I I was just reading about him this morning. It's the only reason I know. But okay. he was apparently a very large traveling healer in, in Europe in the 30s. And he claimed that he healed with the same powers that the Nazarene, and he wouldn't say Jesus, right. that the Nazarene yep. healed mm-hmm. with. Yeah. Um, but that, you know, he was effectively right. doing the same thing anybody could. Right. right? And yeah, yeah, so yeah. by his powers and attempt to portray a similar character to Jesus. Yeah affected the deception of a lot of Christians, uh, Lutherans, right. it would appear, uh, in, in Germany. Right, in the right, 20s right, right. And 30s. So, and then, again, the, the resource I'm looking at is is really saying, and and by the way, none of this is just like particles and, you know, um, spectrum of various electrons. There's there's actual dark things out here. Yeah. And uh, they don't let you know they're tormenting you. They just torment you. Right. Right. <laughs> That's terrifying stuff, you know. Yeah. And so to see then whole swaths of our country deciding to worship these things. Right. And uh, when we as the American Christians, American Lutherans are pragmatically atheistic about them. Right. As if proximity of evil does not exist right. whatsoever. And so that's, that's the point here for the topic and why I want to dig you on yeah, it yeah, on this yeah. day when we're yeah. not doing education, guys. One week off on education. We're coming back with more of that. Yeah, we figured fine. we'd take a little break while Adam was here in town to yeah. just talk about evil paganism. <laughs> well, I, I think that um, it's something to note. And it, it, I don't. I don't want to. You know, th- there's lots of other things that have happened in American history, but just driving over here from Fort Wayne, I see. If you know the name, if you know the last names, it's like the Missouri Senate. If you know the last names, mm. you actually know where people are coming from and what's going on. Yankee name after Yankee name. Yankees founded Chicago. The thing is that they really are disproportionately influential, and the reason that that matters is that I think that their kind of thoroughly Protestantized religion produces something which is very definite and assertive in Christianity, and that would be things like Charles Finney mm-hmm. or Oberlin College or the abolitionist movement. But when it's not Christian, that same energy is able to turn itself into something that that really readily becomes literally pagan. Mm-hmm. So examples on both coasts, one would be in the far Northeast would be the transcendentalists, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So Thoreau, Emerson, that uh, Unitarianism is just sort of a way station for many of them, the best educated ones, in order to get to something which is very interested in pantheism. There are gods somehow in everything, or that God is somehow in mm-hmm. everything, depending mm-hmm. on how you want to phrase it. 
But then by the time they get to the West Coast, and so this is why it's no accident that your kind of least religious sectors of America are the two northern corners. By the time they get to the West Coast, they don't even particularly need to practice anything. Mm -hmm. And the Pacific Northwest is notable in terms of just religious demography for being a place where people belong the least. And I say the Northwest specifically because California is actually not quite like that. California has really large numbers of Catholics and Southern California has always been religiously very different from Northern California. Mm -hmm. So wherever the Yankees go, they're kind of what I think the interesting thing here is that something very assertively and utterly Protestant without a shade of quote, popish superstition left over, which we would actually call like certain beliefs about the sacraments. Once that's gone, you are about two steps from becoming completely pagan. Right, right. And that's not what happens, say, in the South with revivalism, for example. So so what do you think is the distinction there? I think that there is something to be observed about what gets called secularization that really mm-hmm. has nothing to do at all with reason. I think it has to do maybe with a certain human hunger for ritual and meaning being born by physical objects that cannot be satisfied by uh, simply hearing the proclamation of the word. Yeah, yeah. So does the phrase novus order secularum have anything to do with this at all? I don't think it does because, oh. yeah, certain, let me, let me say one more thing about the sacraments and then I'll talk about that because, because I think that a lot of conspiracy theorists, it's sort of like conservatives obsessing over the declaration of the constitution as if that's what America is. Right, right. Okay. It's sort of the same thing with certain conspiracy theorists obsessing over the like roughly like 5% of the American population that has ever been or considered being a deist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I don't, see, I just think it's more like, it's more like pagan magic under the works. Uh, and like the zeitgeist kind of okay. knows more than those who are part of it. Okay. And that the idol of the American dollar is very much an attempt to be a sacramental presence of a permanent God. Uh, it's, it, kind of evidently so and that it's it kind of tells you as much yeah. as some of the language about the yeah. new world that it's yeah. going to make yeah and uh, you know uh, coming down out of heaven as it were and all that so um that's kind of what i was hearing as you mentioned the secular yeah. again and that's a word that itself just is too wide now i think in some yeah, ways it's, right it's, it's way too big and it doesn't contain so i think when a lot of people think secular they think non-religious non-superstitious mm-hmm. and 2020 revealed that superstition exists apart from self-aware religion. Because, right, like, yeah. masks and right. stuff. Yeah, right, yeah, totally. So, yeah. Um, sorry. Uh, you, you know, this idea of the Northwest-West Coast uh, region having a, a fractured, a non-communifying um, religious practice, yeah. although they certainly have, like, these big events that take place, big festivals and things that take place, which I would call kind of church services yeah. in their way. But it's the way I see this, in kind of the biblical framework is the, the age of household gods. So people are worshiping the gods of their home, whatever yeah. they might be. And yeah. for someone that maybe is their tree and for someone is maybe their TV. And then they are in relationship with the people who share those gods. Right, with right, them, right, 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 right. Um, and, and yet it is not, they don't tend to get together in really large conglomerate groups. No. They don't really need to. Why their life is just fine the way it right. is. Exactly. And so they're, you know, they pray to their tree and everything goes well. They watch TV, they take their shots and everything goes right. well. Right. That's so, right. Uh, the fracturing of America, but then the fracturing of the religion for them isn't a weakness because in paganism, household gods are what make it strong. It's how Hinduism works. 
That's how it holds it all together is your gods just fit under the bigger gods. Yeah. And then that's kind of the question I continue to have is, so as this happens, say you watch, you watch the angels of the Southwest begin to frolic and destroy through supernatural mediums, the minds of Americans, young youngsters. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and then you see this, um, Portlandia vision of, of utopian kind of pure pagan uh, gradually devolving into something between, you know, a bloody goat worship in the hills and screaming transgenderism in the cities. Yeah. Um, there's big demons behind this is kind of where it's at. Right. And so for the question for me, whether you be Christian or not, you know, a good spirit, bad spirit, <laughs> you mm-hmm. can see the bad spirits. Right. Um, what's a secular person to even start to do to think about these things? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think that experience, because I, I think that experience of certain evils, visible, especially visible evils mm-hmm. or incarnate evils, evil overtaking someone, um, and visible in the practice of his life. And I want to talk more about practice because I think people think that I talked about labor-saving devices because I was trying not to say that women shouldn't do X, Y, or Z. Um, and obviously, that's not really a, a difficulty that I have. So I think practice is really important because practice is what will reveal to you, as it did as it did to me as a, quote, secular person, whatever that means, practice either observance of someone else's or one's own will actually reveal things to you Mm -hmm. it it is it is how general general revelation works right right is observance of awe at the sight of something that no man made or observance of horror at the sight of someone's life that is being destroyed by Mm -hmm. his fentanyl habit or Mm -hmm. whatever it is that is wrong with him or his, you know, trying to turn into a woman, whatever is going on. And so something else you will, I think, observe is not just growth of some sort of like somehow vanilla Odinism or something in, you know, the Willamette Valley. I think it's going to be also you will get very ferocious Christians out of places like that because they, they are seeing things that are harder to see in nicer or more coherent or functional places. That has got to be, that's a great word, ferocious Christian. So as I attempt to be a shepherd, whatever that means, you know, to teach, I know I got to do that. Um, It is holding the line between the recognition that there are these hungry, ferocious Christians out there who also aren't going to put up with lukewarmness from their church. Right. And then you have some former guard authentic Christians who can't quite see the problem yet. And right. so trying to steer a ship with both mates on board is yeah. that's fun times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the, the ferocity of everything that because the unification program of globalism has been so heavy handed, everyone who isn't going to Borg is going to be ferociously independent because they right. have to be to they retain to their be. identity. Yeah. They have to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that we're shifting. I mean, not just this podcast, but the way that we talk on this podcast or the way that I talk in public that I didn't three years ago. Yeah, right. Is an index in many ways of people's being, allowing themselves, I think, on some sort of deep internal level to think and say things that they did not. And the reason that that is happening is that we're all living in some sort of, you know, chaz at this point, (laughs) right? Um, As of... January, whatever, 20th with our pre-recorded inauguration, mm-hmm. like America is a Chaz. So 
So now it's not even the phrase inmates are running the asylum. I don't I don't like that because it doesn't explain where evil comes from to say that you're just crazy and you should be sedated. But it's also not just the inmates. I mean, the wardens, mm-hmm. uh, the wardens are letting this happen. It's the whole team. Yeah. Yeah. So in in light of that, I, I when I look at the future, you you have the need to call people together to call together the ferocious but you also have a need to understand what is actually driving your opponents. And now that you've allowed yourself to see that you actually have opponents, that when... Enemies. That, yeah, enemies. That, that when you're talking about enemies, you're not just talking about some sort of like psychological difficulties you have with the you know, assistant director at work. You are dealing with people... But Adam, he's not nice to me. That metaphysically, <laughs> that metaphysically hate you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and don't even maybe know they metaphysically hate, hate you, but then again, maybe do and just ain't ever going to let you know. Yeah, right. And, and yeah. that is the way of the world. Yeah. And the, the the naivety of Christians to just kind of assume everyone else has grown up with the same standard of morals that we got and yeah. they're going to apply them across the board. This, yeah. That's a Missouri Synod issue there. Open integrity, uh, changing the way you talk. I've been wondering about that with myself because there's certainly a turn in my preaching in yeah. the last year and a half. Yeah. And it is there's a comfort level, but there's also a discomfort level where I'm just like, well... Yeah, what are you I, uncomfortable I, about? Yeah, well, like saying something that they told us not to say. Oh, okay. Not like literally, okay. but just, you know, t- taking the risks of actually calling it out. Like, look, here's what just happened. Here's the Bible verses about all this stuff. Look how weird the world is. And of course, you know, paganism trying to destroy us, you know, yeah. as opposed to like, here's my little, um, you know, rhetorical device to have you have a an analogy about justification, how it works like rope, right? Not that that's necessarily <laughs> what I was doing before, but like the- That um, is the highest art. There was this like- I, I it, it was in the water. We were taught it, and I always yeah, railed against it. it yeah. But it, it is this sort of um, tempering of the preaching into a kind of a publicly acceptable kind of series of of presentation, in which your goal is to always kind of keep them yeah. glad you told them what yeah. you told them. Yeah, and I, I've never really been good at that per se. Right. But the gloves came off. Yeah. I, mean, I just don't. It's not that I don't care. I do. Yeah. I care about today. Could be the last day of the world. Why would I even hold a thing back? I mean, yeah. and, and the more that I believe that, right, in heart practice, I always believe it intellectually. The more I believe it in heart practice, the more my mouth just—it's not that I say more. I'm actually saying less. But some of the things I say again, uh, levels of vulnerability, levels of calling out idolatry, levels of blessing. You talked to me once about you know blessing people uh, with the office and with words from yeah, the scriptures, and right. like the same thing. Yeah, same I think thing. that is what the ministry is for. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's why it's a ministry of the spirit, right? Um, it's not the ministry of death. So it mm-hmm. is a ministry ultimately of of blessing. Even the hard things are like a father, First Corinthians 4. It's for raising them up and, and for blessing them, mm-hmm. um, even when it's disciplinary. Right, right. Yeah, and so I, there's something essentially positive about it. But I mean, I I just... I don't. I don't know that I ever did the analogies, the justification analogies, because it always, it always felt like such a waste of people's lives. Yeah, that yeah. you're going to stand up there and say something that everyone knows, and everyone knows what you're going to say, and you know what you're going to say, and the only, you know, that's it, it though. Because even, even as I was trying to say it new yeah. and just be a really good, entertaining teacher, yeah, it was still never going to call out. It was never going to call out any for repentance locally. It just somehow that wasn't allowed yeah i don't no, know yeah no you're right it, that it wasn't that it wasn't allowed and this is a we're we're talking about a sickness that is not unique to the lutheran church but 
certainly it is, it's a native species in the American Lutheran church. And that is that somehow nothing is ever about anything real that there, there, there were real issues with which the Lutheran church has dealt, but it was always like sort of a, a theological playground, because if you don't agree, you can go somewhere else. And, you know, that, that may actually be a function of the fact that you just, you know, personally don't like the people mm-hmm. <laughs> either in the congregation or if you're a pastor in the synod. And so you can leave and it's all optional. And, but there's a certain, there's a certain lightness even to theological disputes mm-hmm. that has now evaporated mm-hmm. because life has become more serious because people understood that your church could remain closed or your pastor could reveal himself to be a coward or any number of things that have occurred. And I mean, for that, you know, I, I, I see 2020 as one of the best things that oh, has absolutely. ever happened I'm to us. I'm still on board with that all the way. Yeah, And so I, mean, I feel like I say that like every like three, three weeks or whatever, but I, 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 I sincerely do because I, I hope that it gave a much larger number of people the sense that one day they're going to die such that when they wake up, they're a lot happier to be alive, but also right. they just stop wasting each other's time. Right. Yeah. 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 Confrontation with mortality was definitely part of part of it for me. Yeah. And that combined with the knowledge of the resurrection has just turned life into one day at a time of awesome warfare. Yeah. And you know, the good battle yeah. Paul, Paul talks yeah. about. Yeah. It all, it all got really real. I think this has something to do with Platonic theory and why Platonic categories are problematic for philosophy, but we'll leave all that for another time. <laughs> yeah. And let's come back to the, the pagans and, and their worship of, of direct evil. I mean, and because you talked about what was a moment ago, it was the sickness. The sickness of everything be a, being a mind game, well, you know, Gnosticism would be another way to look at that then, where the body no longer matters to Americans. Yeah, the body is unreal. And then Lutherans in America are just not any different from Americans. And that's our primary problem. And we've got a bunch of guys who are like, we should be more like Americans, then we do better. Mm-hmm. That's our secondary problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> our yeah. primary problems are already too much like Americans, not enough yeah. like ourselves. Yeah. And uh, so coming back to that, but from also looking at the... Let's try to push on the the dark forces proximity, yeah, sure, thing, right? Sure. Not everyone lives in the Northwest, so then what's the next step of understanding what we're trying to talk about? So the next step in understanding is that the internet will make everywhere and already has made everywhere much more like the Northwest than you realize, because that's simply a more advanced and in some ways, uh, because of the encounter with nature, understandable version of something that lots of people are going through, which is, I don't believe anything. I was taught to see that life was meaningless. It continues not to be meaningless. So what do I believe? And then they come up with something which is, you know, maybe a meme like atheism was on the internet maybe 15 years ago. Hmm. But now the meme, especially for younger women particularly, will be astrology Mm -hmm. and witchcraft. And, uh, you know, memes are really, they only stay memes until they're not. And then they're just the way life works. (laughs) Right. Well, that's the kind of the thing about the meme is they're they're like the um oh what's it what's the rule for when everything goes wrong all the time Murphy's rule it's like Murphy's rules you know, yeah. ongoing prophetic telling you of what it really is like yeah and everyone laughs because it's like sad yeah it's just too sad <laughs> so the the confrontation with with paganism is one that you're you're facing almost anywhere especially the younger the demographic is mm-hmm. and that that is because the Whatever the dislike of bodies or of materiality was, which I think you can, you can see as a basic, it's, it's a basic theological problem for Protestantism, and thus it's, it's a major problem in American Protestantism. That is going away. 
bodies are more important than ever for political categories mm -hmm. um, is, you know, what are my genetics? That's going to determine lots of things as to but what I can do. Only insofar as that they're kind of husks and shells we're trying to change too, right? Like, Well, but if I'm black though, I don't want to stop being black. It's true. Yeah. It's true. So, well, if you got the right cast, it's different. Yes. Yeah. Right. So cast has to do with, with the way that the body looks. In addition to that though, you're also dealing with the importance of bodies for identity and satisfaction. And that has, that that's, I think, sexualization of everything as well as of, of children yeah. means that your, your body and uh, what your body wants becomes totally determinative of your identity and what you spend your life doing, which is why you're going to spend so much time, especially in your teen years, trying to figure out, do I like boys? Do I like girls? Do I like both? Do I just like anybody? It's all a matter of programming. It goes in with what comes out, I think, a lot. You got nature. You got counter nature. tries to program you. The more counter nature your programming is, the more everything inside don't feel right. Yeah. Um, now it's just maybe some some like stoicism there, but but it's not entirely wrong either. Yeah. Uh, that yeah, the, the the need to escape from the present seems to be a uh, a common factor in all these things, going up to and including why you would worship demons or trees or anything. Is that you're trying to you're trying to escape a present you don't want, yeah. and arrive at a future you desire better through your own spirit as opposed to just through your hands. So I I think that. If we were dealing with something literally just, you know, people in, you know, uh, in and around Seattle are worshiping the trees, mm. that would be more understandable. There would be historical precedents as to how to talk to those people. Mm -hmm. And their lives would probably be better ordered on a daily basis than they actually are. Mm. But the demons that we are facing are not demons that come via direct contact mm -hmm. with overwhelming nature, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so that that temptation, which is present in say, you know, the the settlement of America, is not actually what our our we we receive our demons generally via electronic signals, correct? And those demons, because they themselves are not communicating via nature, are not turning people to nature. Mm -hmm. No, they're turning them into the supernature of the virtual something, imagined dream something, world. Something that is against nature. Mm -hmm. And the the phrase against nature is usually used for something that I think is... <laughs> I don't think America's original sin is racism. I think that America's original sin is usury. Sure. And that is the phrase contra naturam is usually used by scholastic theologians to talk about why usury is wrong because money doesn't actually breed. Right. Okay. Yeah. Magically. Yeah. Yeah. And that is something, you know, this this whole discussion, however long we go on here, however many weeks this ends up being in the show terms, is something that will be opened up later on mm -hmm. because I'm reading a lot about right now the history of technology and also the history of finance. Interesting. In the United States. And the reason I'm doing that is because I think that avarice, which will employ usury or let's say be be used by usury which Makes is sense. which is the breeding the breeding of money which is against nature because it's a sterile thing it's not like cattle or trees or anything like that 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 breeding against nature is something that offers infinite promise which is which nature does not offer you i mean if you have land the land determines certain things for you, what you can grow, 
what will flourish there, what will not, and you accept those limits. So that, that that's why if there if there are or were people literally worshiping trees, they have at least accepted the limit that the tree is larger than they are or right, something. Right. Now everyone's floating in some sort of virtual, Correct. completely isolated religion all to their own with their own spectacular yeah. level of even even like a pantheon of demons. Yeah. yeah. Personalized right. torment and everything. Right. And so I'm just gonna go kind of even harder at what you you've said. You maybe don't didn't mean to say it this way, but I am I'm of complete conviction at this point that uh, the internet and or the broadcast, um, including audio, but in increasingly more powerful and subliminal ways, yeah. uh, is straight up a portal for demons. Like there's just no way around it that, that, yeah, that I, you're I told sending, somebody that yesterday. Yeah, you're just, yeah. you're just letting them send themselves into your life. Right. And uh, if you're not guarding against it, you're just watching a movie because you want to turn your mind off. That's bad. Too. You listen to yourself when you talk, you yeah, know, right? Because <laughs> you turn your mind off so the demons can talk to you. And that, right. it, it, until we figure that out, right? Which you and I are like, yeah, but we're, yeah. you know, and probably our listeners are like, yeah, but then how big is that understanding right now? Right. I don't think we can combat the other great sin of, say, the Missouri Synod, which is just the lack of Bible reading, straight up, straight up. And that yeah. I think that is a direct result of both demonic oppression, but demonic compression through the TV. You're just so tired and bored because you've watched so much TV, you can't handle five minutes of songs. Right. You're like, oh, it's too hard. Yeah. Again, that's, you're oppressed. And and so the oppression is, whether it's your flesh or whether it's a super spiritual, you know, Tutulu through the back door of the electronic waves, it's like all of it, man, wake up. There's a real war going on. And however it's happening behind the scenes, Judgment Day will reveal for today, you just got to know every time you turn that screen on, yeah. you're not talking to Jesus. And even if you quote Jesus, you're not talking to Jesus. Like the, the the zeitgeist is working to spread a lie, and a pop up will show show up right away to make sure you know you're not in control of this information. You, know, you are not in control of this information, and that's kind of the important thing. The babel, yeah. the babel is unavoidable on these machines. Yeah. So th- there's my my rant. I it, it it could be that the internet is simply an intensification of something that was always going on, yeah. and that did not appear urgent and appeared advantageous to become normal, to move to somewhere and become normal. And that one of the mistakes that the Missouri Synod made was not to remain, as it were, kind of a sideline group, Mm -hmm. as at least some of them started out as. I mean, both in the northern group and the southern group, you're largely talking about what are basically colonies. And they choose the method because this is who funds everything and who puts it together and and funds the magazine that calls everybody together. Right, right, right. Um, our businessmen in St. Louis. And significantly, CFW Walther has a debate with his congregation at Trinity, now now called Trinity Soulard or Historic Trinity, mm-hmm. about usury. And so he's quoting Luther on trade and usury, and they're like, No, that you're you know, you're an idiot. That's not how that's just not how business works. Hmm. And it's not that that debate hadn't happened among other Christians at other times, but it is that the the idea that life will fundamentally be constituted by my manipulation of something that is, in its essence, materially sterile. God did not make it to reproduce, but I will found my life upon its reproduction. So one of the things that I find interesting about that, that I need to have you clarify, because I'm too vested in crypto theory at this point to like think of money as anything other than stored work as trust in a externally validated, like a agreed upon symbol, Yeah. which crypto does this amazing thing of yeah. compelling through internet, the symbol to stay static, yeah. which is an attempt again at some sort of infinite 
value really yeah, right um so it's its own you know form of weird but so in that regard so not breeding money well you know if if money is stored work as trust stored work as trust in a mutual kind of agreed agreement somewhere um then yeah it can't breed because you can't you can't just make more trust show up right you know if it's all based upon you actually did labor so i believe that's a value somewhere else and i'll give you this in exchange for that yeah you're trying to make people have honestly communion with each other right. without it happening exchange of goods without exchange yeah and so yeah it, that makes sense then from, I'm, I'm working my way into what you said right. basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so that so that can't in fact breed yeah. and the guarantor of that communion is generally the king which is yeah. why the king's face is put on it right as early right. as the first you know coinage that we have record of in in 7th century bc lydia which is in anatolia yeah right, right? and so um Rich he's, he's right? going to ensure he's going to ensure that you have that you have communion with each other, that you can have trust mm-hmm. beyond a circle of people you actually know. So then usury is the attempt to loot someone else's trust straight up then. Yeah. 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 Nice. And it's it's notable that, that biblical Israel is a place where uh, interest is, uh, the charging of interest is forbidden. And the reason is simply that, the reason for that is that very simply, you would not want to have to pay a tax when you yourself are in need. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. But if other effects of that are biblical Israel can never become, no matter what they're able to do with the land and the sea. And this is very different from modern Israel, which is a sort of technological miracle, uh, agriculturally, certainly. Biblical Israel can never become a wealthy place. Mm-hmm. Not even an ancient Not term. by itself, right. Not by itself. Right. No. The closest they come is something that's barely mentioned in the Bible, which is breeding horses in the Jezreel which they export. But that so that's better known. I'm pretty sure Wisdom of Solomon got him going for a while, but it was largely like talking, right? Like come <laughs> yeah. listen to the dude. Yeah, it was, right. And yeah. so um but I mean Solomon understand that you know Solomon is a, there there is a massive amount of importation going on. Oh, for sure. And that's going to create dependencies especially in the upper class in Jerusalem. Yeah, that makes sense. That will never go away until Jerusalem is destroyed. Makes sense. And it's those kind of dependencies upon things and stuff and pleasures that Luther is railing against, okay? Because Luther's not looking at the world or even the people who are protecting him. He's not looking at it as a matter of, you know, accumulation and this seems reasonable and everyone's doing it. And Walther just doesn't really have the constitution to stand up against a bunch of people for whom he's dependent for his paycheck and that's the Missouri and Center alone. problem. That's the Missouri Center yeah, problem. Yeah, and alone. He's alone to say, you know, hey, Luther wasn't just making this up. So the Missouri Synod, yeah, they were opposed to life insurance. Um, for but a they, bit, huh? Yeah, for a bit. But they were not They were not basically opposed to this. And this is, this is an example of conformity to what is normal. Mm-hmm. That means that on a basic level, our lives are founded upon something that I think is ultimately unreal mm-hmm. yeah it is it is unreal and therefore it it will collapse it's it's not like saying okay well we have this many cattle or we have this many children so the way i'm always digging on this is the story like what story are you listening to everyone's got a story that they think the world is spitting at them and the more you're listening to stories from far away yeah the less real your story actually is even yeah. if it's like really happening far away it still has nothing to do with your actual life yeah it's way over there and maybe someday they drop a bomb on you in like three years and you didn't know it was coming and you could have if you'd been like listening to stories from far away right but instead um you know the um the if 
you can or you do have, especially as a Christian, yeah, uh, the discipline, the self-control to begin tracking the story you think you're living. Right. That means journaling, basically, right? But then going back and reassessing that and asking, them, now, what's the real truth here? What's the consistency? And if I, and I would contend if you, you're reading the Bible while this is happening, you can, over time, begin to tell the story of the Bible in your life in such a way that it is just the one that's going on around yeah. you. And that yeah, this yeah, is how yeah. Christian community happens. Yeah. But that, again, means you have to silence the other stories. And, and you know, I'm going hardcore because I'm a pastor, and for me, this means everything to me. So for my personal self, I'm I'm letting go of a lot of things that used to be, oh, that's fine. No problem. Don't do mm-hmm. it. And I'm not necessarily telling people, don't do this yourself. But somewhere, you got to cinch that belt up. You know, go on the restriction diet and then maybe add something back. But we're so far up against this wall right. that from my end, it's like, get on the ash heap, man. You know, like seriously, um, pray to God because he's about to send fire on this place and uh, one way or the other. Right. And so, um, uh, well, yeah, come to Jesus. Okay. So, I mean, I, th- I think that, and even just discussing these topics, discussing usury, the discord has been discussing birth control recently. Mm-hmm. These are all existential topics and I don't want to police any of those discussions simply Correct. because people need, this is a, this is not an issue of like, what do I personally think about this, but how do people actually achieve wisdom? Correct. And I think that often the reason that we don't have wisdom is because we try to handle everything as a matter of policy. So they want to know from me, what should be the policy or what is your position? What is the official position of synod? On some level, who cares? Because if you are doing the right thing, it doesn't matter what the official position of someone else is. Right, right. And you're not going to gain wisdom by just asking me or anyone else for an answer. Wisdom is not narrow. It doesn't apply universally. It's not quite right either. But like, like it has to be applied specifically to the situation. You have yes. a universal principle that cannot be tactically applied everywhere all the time. Right. Because the tactic has to change. Right. And a policy is a tactic. And so yeah. you start, this is why our constitutions are all messed up. I mean, all these policies to prevent like one bad idea, one at a time over right. 30 years. Now we got right. a billion things in these yeah. things. No, but it's, it's about that policy idea versus right. the principle. Wisdom is generally true. So wisdom says that blessed are the poor in spirit tactically what will poverty of spirit mean you know when you are 50 versus when you are 75 it will be something at least slightly different you will yeah, have to figure yeah. out what that is yeah because your your life will alter and so i can say generally uh money does not breed money yeah Okay. but specifically what does that mean for your investments or and I, in a very broadest sense of that English word, investment, right. you do need to figure that out on your own. I'm happy to talk about it. I'm happy right. to answer questions. But I, I really, we need to get rid of the idea that uh, we're all waiting for someone to speak from on high. So one of the things I wrote to myself recently, just as I struggle with a number of local practices, actually, it was as I wrestle with how best to express why I was really keen on having the masks come off yeah. at the church yeah. and why I have no intention of, of doing any work or announcements to have them go back on yeah. is because the Lord said, shepherd, not police. Mm-hmm. And what the state had asked us to do and what we had because of our elders you know, wanting to care about people had mm-hmm. begun doing, but is effectively becoming policemen for the state. Totally. And and that action is not what Jesus sent us. The shepherd is sent to like to call yeah. You know, to call out the order. Right. But then again, this idea of the hunger for the bullet points, 
you know, I got a couple of books I wrote. Broken's the first one. I think it's the worst one. It sold the best. But my, my grandma, I still remember her, her comment. You know, it's called Seven Christian Rules Every Christian Not to Break as Often as Possible. And my grandma was really disappointed that there wasn't like a list of seven things not to do anymore. Like she, that's really what she wanted out of the book, <laughs> yeah. right? And the book's all yeah. about grace. It's yeah. about, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's about this very idea. Like you, you can, you need to argue iron against iron. You need right. to repent in the face of the word of God, right. but it, there's place for you to grow. Yeah. And the, and the insight here is at some point on paper, the entire Missouri Synod, or at least its leadership, probably had the right idea about a wide range of things and notice how they all went away. Yeah. Yeah. So... I don't want to structure the future in the way that the past was structured. Amen. And I extremely respect these men for their boldness in many of these things. I mean, Walther telling all the people that paid for his life, hey, the way that you make your income, most of you, unless you're like selling hammers to people that need hammers, right, right. is probably off base. Right. And you are investing in something which Luther condemns as productive of luxury and vice. Hmm. Okay, he tried, but then... He was a very polite, nice man, so he couldn't keep trying. Like the rest of us Germans in the Missouri Synod, we just <laughs> we just sound scary until you talk to us, and then we run away and hide Super and change nice, our mind. Like, yeah. Don't want to be disapproved of. So, yeah. but the problem was everything the policies were set. A generation grows up that wasn't there when the policies were set, doesn't know why they're there, and then eventually gets rid of them, and that's the story. Building on the success that came along with those policies. Yes, and so. I think that the issue here is that if I don't think very carefully about how future generations will absorb and how to inculcate not only what I think, mm -hmm. but how I came to think it. Mm -hmm. Because also, if I give, if I do not give people who want some modicum of freedom or the sense that they came to convictions on their own, mm -hmm. right. Then, doesn't really then I will eliminate every single personality from the church that has any capacity for daring. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I don't want to yeah. do that yeah. because I need, I, in addition to like James, who's happy to just camp out in Jerusalem and tell everyone else what to do. Yeah, yeah. Sound familiar, Missouri Synod? Well, I think he's better than that, but keep going. Okay. I want also St. Paul's yeah. who are willing to adapt and move. And yeah. I, I, in order to keep all those different kinds of people in the church, I need to allow them to have a biblical process for the attainment of wisdom, not just a process of, I downloaded the right you know, programming. Biblical process for the attainment of wisdom, which is to not have Dr. Kunz or I give you the right answer to the question, but to get in the Proverbs every day and believe that over the course of your lifetime, God's going to help you figure out how to use the Word of God to find the right answer for the moment you're in and be the blessing in that life, the other people that are around you, being the one who brings that word, that alpha, you know, the king, leader, yeah. whatever you are, you know, the shepherd is a, uh, again, I think fractal thing. We're all prophets and priests in the kingdom of Jesus in the sense of we got to speak the word and, and uh, pray, praise, give thanks. <laughs> LCMS uh, brand version there. Um, so again, not as much into the paganism as maybe we could go, but I'm sure we'll come back to this. It's a nice opening foray, and especially as we move further into education. I mean, what education certainly is right now is a paganizing uh, American public. Ad. Yeah. And then uh, as we raise our, our youngsters, you know, some of the question is how do we give them that classical training so they can engage in the, what the, the physical world with intellect and, and skill and good measurement and all yeah. that. But then also how do we inculcate in them a true tribalism that believes in the power of the unseen and, mm -hmm. and has an altar you know, uh, and believes that altars got more power than other altars. Yeah. Uh, that's, that seems to be way more important than, you know, I don't know, 
page 375 of the catechism explanation, you know, 0.7 right now. Yeah. Yeah. We don't believe any of it. You know, (laughs) we got to, we got to wake this thing up. Well, that's what 2020 is. Oh, you made me think this earlier. I wanted to, I want to quote it. It's it's a, it's a paraphrase, but it's in the Apocrypha. I believe it's in Torah. Um, uh, We were pricked by the venomous tongue of the serpent in order that we might remember thy good works and repent of our idolatries. It doesn't say idolatry, but Mm -hmm. repent of our wickedness. So this is the sons of Korah or some other intertestamental period meditating on uh, the fiery serpents in the wilderness and the snake on the pole and claiming how the entire event happened for their good and how if they would understand that the the demon tormenting them was in fact part of their cross, which they saw fulfilled in Christ, right? And so the alleviation of the resurrection. Uh, pricked by the venomous tongue of the serpent that we might remember your good works of old and repent. It's uh, That's 2020 for me. Uh, so it's a, it's a huge thing. And, and a big part of it is then realizing that my big fight in the church as a pastor personally isn't against the atheist skeptic in the pew. Uh, it's any of the pagan who's praying over you know three blocks away and they're mm-hmm. not coming to church. <laughs> you know? and, and that's such a different tactic. It yeah. really is yeah. uh, from uh, three years ago. Yeah. How does this impact you training young men at the seminary? You want to talk about that at all? It means that there are a lot of things that they simply need, I think, permission to think or say, rather than that I have to, you know, tell them a bunch of things that they've never thought of before. Hmm. Yeah. Um, They're sufficiently reflective that they're there. They've reflected on what they want to do with their lives and they're there. So that's, that's great. And um, I try not to talk to people as if they're stupid Hmm. and they're there to just like learn everything from me. I mean... There are things that, you know, how to use the uh, apparatus in their New Testament that they don't know before they get there. But the things that are actually worthwhile, I think they have intuited themselves. And so they need capacities and and space to to think and to articulate those things. And especially because people generally come to their convictions through the internet, how to communicate with other people Mm -hmm. about -hmm. those convictions Mm -hmm. rather Mm -hmm. than just sort of just dumping information or yeah. attitudes on other people are sort of talking in memes. The human relationship factor, and that goes back to the tribalism and kind of seeing how you used to have much bigger tribes with mm-hmm. bigger dialects, basically. Right. And, yep. you know, every person with their spectrum disorder is just a dialect, really, in one sense. It's a really <laughs> strange, you know, sugar technology combo dialect going yeah. on. And yeah. And uh, so Babel is just doing what Babel does. So it gets harder to talk to people. And if you're going to be in a, a position where your job is to be the the philosopher, the lawyer, the doctor, sure. the, all yeah. of the above, right. you know, communication is huge. Yeah. Which language do you learn? That's the question. You know, Spanish? <laughs> I think, I mean, it, I I appreciate them a great deal because I find that they are generally very sincere and don't try to talk like someone on TV. Oh, that's good. Which is a yeah. which is a big failing in a lot of people where you can tell that they're obviously playing a character they saw in a show, right, right. Um, and so huh. I find that that's great. I, I it's a coping mechanism, is what it is. Yeah, it it yeah it is it is. And so the lack of that in my students, I very much appreciate. That's good. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I contend again that the more time you would spend spend in the Psalms and Proverbs on a daily basis. Uh, the more you're going to have a mind that's not your own, just kind of radically writing new code into right. yours. Yeah. And what you're going to find is not that you're going to like somehow just turn into Jesus. You're going to turn to you only like under Jesus. And, and, and you know, the, <laughs> I've talked in the past about the secular edge of the show and, and maybe we're just way past that. I don't know. You know, how, how much of our listener base is really just the LCMS following certain yeah. legends yeah, yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah. But yeah. well, I think, again, I think that point is, um, is huge. I think that we are 
dealing with a future which I find very bright but very unknown because I do not think that we have actually felt the need for the Word of God mm -hmm. and then a life that accords with it, that is in harmony with it um, for a very long time. And Correct. so that on an individual level does involve an enormous amount of mortification yeah. of doing to death of a lot. Yeah. But I think you're right to say that you will, you will become you in a way that you never saw or recognized because the transformation that the word of God does with, with a person is a transformation, which is extremely hard to understand, but it is similar to a sculptor using rock. Yeah. Right. More similar to that than, say, a painter putting paint on a canvas that has never had paint on it yeah. before. Yeah. And so there is a chipping away and a, an unveiling of something that you never saw before or did not predict, but is in fact yourself. And was always there. Yeah, right. It was always there, right. just covered by the corruption, right? So the, the created order that we know the Lord has maintained so that each sinner is still good so far as God sustains their sinful condition unto the yeah. perdition. Yeah. But then when he redeems them, that good is not gone. That good is what's redeemed, right? Right. right. And so this is, this is really different from how paganism thinks about human beings, because in paganism, either you're going to be extinguished, right? That's the vision at the end. That's right, the right. eschatology of you know, Ragnarok. It's just the, the extinction of the gods and of men. Or man is understood, and this is far more common with our internet demons, man is understood as basically protean. That is, he could mm -hmm. turn into anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He could turn, he could die and he could turn into a monkey. He could die and turn into a deer, you know. Right. Acteon, Acteon is, can, you know, turned into a stag and then consumed, right, for his, for his sin. So the idea that you can turn into something else rather than turning into the you that you are supposed to be, right? Metamorphosis versus chrysalis, right? Yeah. And so that idea is one basic way to tell the difference between paganism of any form and Christianity is that in paganism, you're always turning into something that you're not. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, metamorphosis is a change of form of morphe. Right. So, yeah. Whereas the, the chrysalis is what can, is, contains something that does not appear to be what it shall become, right, right. but can never become what it should without being in that, in that stage embryonic form right, first right so yeah. there really is the, there's a distinction there that's, yeah yeah that's good yeah just you mentioned the the lack of hunger for bible reading and the the one resource i've been looking at is it's had a lot of interesting tales he's got way too much anecdote he does have some like real points in terms of demonology that i'm hoping to kind of glean mm -hmm. from it as, as a second read yeah but the most powerful thing he says is that the common experience of a christian under torment so this is not someone who's possessed but someone who's been in the presence of charming okay in the presence of magic whether third or fourth generation prior it can, yeah. it can pass generations yeah. presence of charming the common experience is a, a lack of desire to read the bible a lack of desire to pray and i think about what happened to the missouri synod between yeah. the advent of the radio and tv in the home yeah and what the people were doing before that and after that. And I got to say, this is a lot of torment, just straight up. No matter how do you want to count it, right. it's the same effect. Yeah. And that's where, again, how does our repentance begin? Oh, golly. You know, just say, Jesus, help me read the Bible more. You know, say some, Something common in the Missouri Senate is that there's something gets started for some generally good purpose of reaching people outside the church. Mm -hmm. And this is the case with Sunday school, as mm -hmm. well as mass media usage, mm -hmm. radio, right? That's how the Lutheran yeah, starts. Right, right. But then it becomes determinative or definitive of the church yeah. for those inside the church. Yeah. So what was supposed to be sort of, you know, pods for pigs 
becomes the sun's food. And uh, that's not what it was uh, ever intended to be. But it's a very common movement. And what it ends up with is people who are who are basically starved. And it, it is strange to me that that I think pretty reliably, places where paganism would be most evident, yeah, societally, mm-hmm. has an actual cultural challenge. New Jersey, mm-hmm. Oregon, are places where our churches tend to just sort of give up on ferocity. Yeah. And that is its own sort of, I think, spell. That's exactly right. And that that is uh, that is something that, I mean, I, I am personally grateful to be from <laughs> a place in Missouri Senate terms under such a spell because yeah, it sure. gives you, I think, a much livelier sense of what the stakes are, that the stakes, the stakes were never about snare drums yeah, right. or something. Right, right. It was about whether or not you are actually a serious person and this is a serious endeavor. Because if it is, I'm just not going to end yeah, up yeah, using well, snare drums. Do you worship the old gods or the new? Is yeah, really, but really um, is. much more seriously, I, I am about the, the salvation of souls. I'm not about internecine Missouri Synod fights. And the reason that we're talking any inside baseball is because that's probably who's listening. And so I want you to actually know how to think about these things in some sort of coherent way. But you're more concerned with Christianity than Lutheranism then. I'm, yeah, I mean, I see those as identical. I'm, I'm much more concerned with Christianity than the Missouri Synod. Do you sure. talk about being a Lutheran or do you talk about being a Christian? Depends on who I'm talking okay. to. If they don't know the word Lutheran, I don't need to explain it right away. Yeah. I'm, I'm leaning away from using it publicly yeah. for just for that reason, not yeah. that I would deny it. But yeah. like in terms of like my first step. They don't know what that is. Yeah. Usually. They have no usually. clue what it yeah. is. Sure. They're so far away. It's just crazy. Yeah. Indiana, South Dakota. Sure. I can talk about being a Lutheran. Yeah, but then even, even again around here, it just means you got female pastors and divorce, you know, and <laughs> and like actually a lot more than that these days, you know, because we are. Are we talking biologically female or are we talking yeah, spiritually? Well, you know, the, what was the one recently? It was like the first transgender female is the head of one of the big church bodies now. So there's a guy. So you're like, okay, actually. Yeah, there's a guy, <laughs> right? So, I mean, I mean, I could, yeah, whatever. Um, Golly. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> Let's let's turn from there to we have some questions, at least one from yeah, the Discord sure. we want to try to hit, um, since we're both kind of officially just hanging out in the garage. Uh Broken Stealth asks about um an article called Children Deserve to Be Born for Love, Not Welfare Payments from the Federalist, which is a common refrain. He writes this a common refrain is suing children is they are too expensive when the US dollar no, USDA also says that the average child costs over $250,000 from zero to 18. Yeah. Yeah. Are you accounting for inflation? It makes one wonder how can anyone afford to raise a child? I think it's bunk. It's bunk. Children are not that expensive. Uh, how much does everyone actually spend on their children? Listen, man, do you shell out you know, this big official number per year for your five kids? And here's what I know. I mean, I'm just going to say it's kind of a game. I work my tail off. What comes in goes out. What we haven't spent, we try to re-put back in, whether it's into the future for the kids or the future for us. And honestly, there's no end to the trying in yeah. this regard. Kids are darned expensive and they get more expensive the bigger they get. And if you think you're going to send them off to college or if you think they might have to have braces, I mean, it, it, it does add up depending on, you know, what are you expecting? If you're willing to let your kid die when they have a you know fever when they're seven, then, you know, kids aren't expensive at all. They just, you just kind of live. So where, what do you, what do okay. you need? You know, what do you need? And that's going to answer your question differently, I think, for right. a lot of people. Right. I'm also kind of. Just going to go Alex Jones on this one. Um, So I'll be proven right eventually, which is that this is basically just propaganda aimed at people who actually are 
planning to have children. Yeah, it's trying to discourage. And we're not even talking about using using birth control and then stopping because you want to have. I'm, I'm talking like people who are responsible enough mm-hmm. to like get married to each other mm-hmm. and want to have children. Mm-hmm. This propaganda is aimed at them to try to slow this them down. This has nothing to do with slowing birth rates generally. Because but it is to slow them down from having kids. It is to slow married couples who could construct a life without the need for welfare. I see. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is not aimed but at. That they're make they're any not sense. saying. I mean, this, this is not. We're not going into something like saying, "Okay, you're a, you're a drag on the system. This is your fifth out of wedlock child. Stop making everyone else pay for your children." This is not aimed at them because it's never yeah. framed in. Yeah, no, they're never going to framed read as this. absolutely. But in no, case is... you were a functional person thinking about having children, don't because they're too expensive. So this is from the Federalist, though. So then the question is. Well, I don't think the Federalist is saying that. They, they're I think probably that, arguing your yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. These types of articles about right, right. here's the cost. They're so expensive. Well, so that's my problem. So the question that was asked to me has this number, you know, sixty nine four 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 point four four per year on your kids. Yeah. Like that's not how statistics work. That's not how mu- I don't know how. How would I account for that? Yeah. Do I split the, my rent and, in half. And the I reason mean, that yeah, the reason I'm saying the reason they're constructing that number is it's just to push you. Correct. It's just a big number. They don't even believe in the integrity no, of their own number. No no, 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 no. I don't think so. No, no. But they do. They don't believe in the integrity of the uh, uh, the credit payments they're sending out either. They just believe that you'll <laughs> take them, spend them, and then have to like take out loans to pay them Correct. back when your taxes yeah, come due. I think, I think we're trying to do. We're trying. We're going to try to do Chinese social credit. That's why we're going to get a a U.S. dollar coin. Mm, okay. Yeah. A I stable hear about coin. that. We're going to get. We're going to get a U.S. dollar. Oh, coin. for the bit. Uh, for mm-hmm. uh, crypto. Yeah, we're going to get a crypto, but it's going to be government control. We're going to try to do Chinese social credit, but without any of the hard mathematical calculations that the Chinese will do, where they'll be like, we really can't pay for this. So you can only have one kid if you live in an urban area, yeah. two in a rural. We're never going to do anything that... Like, our casino has a much worse business model than whatever the Chinese are doing, is right. what I'm saying. It's a little like Herod's kingdom, I think. Yeah. Uh, Herod, so, not Herod the Great, but Herod the uh, the other one. There is an element of fakery and chaos present with us that is unique to us. Yes. Yeah. Easily, easily so agreed with. that article, it, you know, what? not the Federalist articles specifically, but whatever's behind it and articles, you know, child-free life these kinds of articles, they are aimed at getting certain people who would construct some kind of independent life right. to be too scared to do that. Right. They're not actually worried about someone on welfare having five kids by herself. Right, because they want that. They want that because that person is very, very easily controlled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Stay within the system. Anything else you want to talk about today before we kind of wind this one up and then see what happens next time? No. No, um, I think we're good. And I have lots more to say about paganism, but we'll save it. Yeah, and we'll, we'll hit it as we go yeah. again. Kind of. Well, I mean, I could ask this. Do you believe in large regional demons that are named a la Daniel style? And then which is your favorite one to be like to watch in the news if you have such a thing? Uh, are cities demons? Are the, are the cities all kind of like demons underneath? And like, they're just, I don't know, but you kind of watch it with what they worship and what they do and how it twists everything in a different <laughs> way. But it's all echoing the same way. And it's the rise and fall of nations. I mean, it's like, I'm saying the demon of every city is mammon. That's clear enough. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And the cities have that in common. And so usury, because usury and mammon are going to be kind of tied in yeah, thought yeah, to each u- other. Usury is, is mammon's sacramental communication. So you think mammon is kind of the highest evil? 
in terms of biblical category. No man can serve two masters. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the accuser is not even the primary metaphor for the evil one then, right? No, because yeah. he is he is more like a seducer generally. And Luther's observation about the differing power of temptations at different times of life is very perceptive because at the time of life when you begin to become when you gain control over your biology to a greater degree than you did when you were 20, your chief temptation becomes and very often for most people remains for the rest of their lives mammon. Hmm. And Luther yeah. observes that mammon has a much stronger power as as age is gained. So at the when you are supposed to have, you know, your gray hair is a crown of life because of the amount of wisdom that you've gained, right. not necessarily money, but right. wisdom. Right, right. Your greatest temptation is to accumulate mammon's treasures. Stuff. Yeah. 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 How'd you become so wise? <laughs> because I majored in uh, the humanities, so mammon was just never in the picture. Yeah. So I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I buy that at all. <laughs> I don't buy that at all. But uh, so a brief history power to white guys, Dr. Coons, Pastor Fisk, you know where we are. You know where to find us. You wouldn't be here.